Xavier is dead. Apocalypse reigns. This is the Age of Apocalypse. Welcome to Power of X-Men Apocalypse, the podcast where we review every single issue of the classic reality warping high-octane epic X-Men crossover event known as Age of Apocalypse. I'm your co-host, Dayspring. And I'm your other co-host, Mr. Scott Free. And welcome to chapter four of our Age of Apocalypse read, Untapped Potential by Scott Lobdell with art by Steve Epting. Yes, uh, I am... <laughs> excited to dig into this issue it's a really really solid one it's got some great really pivotal moments for bobby some great moments for rogue some weird dream stuff with charles and some great moments for both Warren and Betsy. I love seeing the Warren and Betsy stuff because this is the first time, I mean, we'll get into it in the episode, but this is the first time we see them very romantic because only in just a previous issue, they were invited to like the Hellfire Club because of their family's legacy. And they they had this little adventure and, and this is the first time they kind of come together and they're, they're very romantically involved. And, and Betsy's got her new like haircut, which is inconsistent since we last saw it in X-Men 38 here. It's just kind of a little below the shoulders before it was very like short, like Jamie Lee Curtis style. Yeah. She, she got some extensions. <laughs> she got, ex- she's got the money for it. She's got extensions, Yeah, right. you know, but I really, you know, this was a really, really fun issue. And in so many ways, it's a direct continuation to X-Men 38, which we discuss in our first chapter in our x-men apocalypse reread yes that was our first chapter right i'm like i don't even remember (laughs) yes x-men 38 was our first (laughs) so you have to look at our graphic which is available on the power of x-men instagram check that out but i don't think there's any big news to discuss we are recording this back to back so you know if we're behind news, we apologize Um, we'll we'll pick up the news next week (laughs) There has not been any news in the time between recording the previous episode and then starting the recording this episode. So <laughs> we're, yes. we're good. In the two minutes it has taken us to transition from X Factor 109 to this, there has not been any breaking news. Oh, you know what we haven't discussed, though? And we may be a little behind on this when this episode airs, but Hawkeye, have, have you seen Hawkeye? I am actually behind on my viewing with, like, Thanksgiving travel and family stuff. So I have not actually been able to see Hawkeye yet. So we could just edit this whole chunk <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, so no new news. No new news. <laughs> no um, new news. Imagine that. But, you know, next week we are going to have Nerd Alert join us and we'll catch up on all news there. I, I have yes. a feeling... There'll, there'll be some some good news. I got a couple scoops that some some news is going to drop. So we'll we'll figure it out as Very it forward. happens. So this issue takes place after X Factor 109, where Legion just defeated Raven both physically and emotionally, and gave her the cryptic message that Destiny had. 
and flies off saying that he's going to make the world right. And this issue is also a continuation, as we mentioned, of X-Men 38, where we saw some seeds planted there with Rogue and Bobby. Rogue having relationship issues with Remy and Iceman kind of coming to terms with who he is, his powers. He's still reeling from the fact that Emma Frost hijacked his body and was able to use his powers better than, than he could. So that, that's sort of where we're at going into this issue. Like you said, it joins sort of immediately after all those things. And it's, it's a pretty involved issue. We get this whole sort of plot with, you know, brief overview with, with Bobby taking Rogue to visit his parents on, on Long, Long Island. Island. <laughs> yeah. Long Island. They drive out from Westchester to uh, Montauk on the uh, the edge of Long Island, Suffolk County, and they get there and they have part of a very unpleasant dinner with Bobby's parents, who you know are his father is not the most tolerant person, and we'll get into that uh, when we go into our deep dive, and then. The issue also deals with Charles uh, having an extended dream scape and sequence where he's looking out at a, the, the nega of the, the desert in Israel and talking to a dream version of Magneto with, with his long, luxurious hair. Mm. And that panting uh, provine hair. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that 90s like blowout kind of thing. <laughs> And, and just they had a long dialogue about uh, their methods and what if, you know, Magneto hadn't been there to oppose him and back and forth. And um, we also get a Betsy and Warren plot where they're at what I assume is, but they don't actually say is the Rainbow Room, sorry, the Starlight Room. They, this, this is where their relationship starts to become more uh serious the the three the three plot lines are separate but they're it it, it cuts naturally from one to another and the book has a really good flow and towards the end legion appears in charles's uh dream audible gasp yeah audible gasp and it's just like oh i'm gonna you know do stuff and um Charles is woken up by Beast because he's apparently sending out a psychic distress signal. I don't care how stressed I am in a dream. If Hank McCoy tries to wake me up, if I wake up and I see that fucker's face, I'm literally going to go apeshit. I would check to make sure all of your organs are there first. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're waking up in a bathtub of ice and Hank's (laughs) just standing over you. Um, And then... Then they they go down to the lab and Charles is like, oh yeah, I think my son's like doing some stuff because I'm father of the year. That's 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 a very quick superficial overview. Yeah, I don't know how I I, I feel about the issue now. Thinking about it, so I love the Bobby Rogue bits, and I do I do love the Archangel and Betsy bits, and I I do like the dream with Xavier and and Legion. I don't know how I feel about all three of them kind of like melding together in the story. It, 
I don't know what, if I'm looking at this issue as a whole, I don't know what I'm supposed to take away from it other than, you know, something bigger is being established here, but it, it kind of seems odd to put in all three of these stories together. It's fine. I mean, we're looking at this from a 2021 perspective when this was in the nineties, but I think Scott Lobdell is trying to, to string a message here with, with, with the idea of family father, sons, and relationships and, and taking accountability for, for family and, and sort of moving past sort of difficult relationships with them coming to terms with your own feelings. But that being said, though, I, I think the writing is, it's very beautiful. I, I think if we want to just dive into the issue sure. that, that opening scene, we, we have rogue and Bobby in, in, at the beach in, in Long Island. Is it Montauk? They're in Montauk? Yes. Yeah, I think they're in Montauk. They're in Montauk. I always think of what's that movie? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Have you seen it with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet? Oh yeah. Yeah. Years ago. Yeah. And they and they meet in Montauk. And Montauk. that's like a big thing. That Montauk is like such a pivotal scene in that movie or place in that movie. But they're in Montauk and that opening art with by Steve Epstein. It's so beautiful. It's Bobby kind of like half transformed, like his hands and bare feet are cold, like of ice and Rogue is standing behind him, like slouching over him. And it's just really, he's got that five o'clock shadow and he's created this beautiful ice castle in Montauk. And, you know, he, he says that when he was little, his dad always told him that building castles was a skill that won't serve him well in life. And Rogue is like, wow, like, when did you realize something was ever wrong with him? And Bobby's like, who says there was something wrong with him? It's, it's very, like, you, you get, obviously, you know, in earlier issues, you get insights into, like, Bobby's uh, family life and, like, childhood. And it's like, for, for all of, like, his his you know, funny guy, like outward persona. It's like, he had a rough childhood, like, like not, not like, you know, abusive or anything, but just like he, his father was a very, is a very hard man and like very cold, um, ironically, ice man. (laughs) But um, he, he, like Bobby did not have, uh, a nice childhood and you see it like here where his father's just like sitting there smoking the cigar while Bobby's trying to build like a sandcastle. And it's basically just like, uh, you know, a man doesn't get anywhere in this world uh, by dreaming boy, by making castles in the sand. And like, you know, I, I mean, you can almost like hear, you can almost see him like flicking the cigar ash, like onto the sandcastle. And it's like, that's right, kid. You're not yeah. going to get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I, I want to credit this opening scene for really establishing the kind of character Bobby is because he's deeply insecure about what happened with Emma Frost. He's like, she used my powers in ways that I could never use in rogues. Like, but you know, it could have killed you. And he goes, but it didn't. And yeah. Bobby's sort of owning the fact that he's never embraced his full potential. He's looking at his relationship with his dad and he still feels at the beginning of this issue that will change later on that his dad was not wrong. You know, talking about building sandcastles and how that's not going to serve him. And it really, I, 
it really just lays a foundation for who he is, why he has never come to terms with his sexuality. And these are issues that will be explored in the Cena Grace run, the Iceman run. Though the, the, this will the scene will be continued in in that in the in that series. So it's a really powerful opening scene, and I I like it quite a bit. And I don't know why. I don't know if we missed something, but I don't know why he decided Bobby decided to bring Rogue along for this nebulous family dinner i mean uh, why not the x-men are family and they need to go on a little trip together so yeah it it, it seems like just they were jumping ahead a little bit his father is like says oh you're bringing like all these different like different women. It, it seems like bobby just brings different x-women with him for this i'm like i don't know if that's you know i like, see what you're saying he's like covering yeah. up his yeah and that would make sense because again, Lobdell, who was a big advocate of of Northstar coming out of the closet, yeah. wanted would write him, would write Bobby as still in the closet. And I think, do you think Rogue knows why she's there to be a beard? Do you? I think she does. Yeah, I, I think part of it is to be a beard. Part of it is also just to have another person there to kind of force his parent forces his father to be on like better behavior um i don't know it clearly doesn't work but i i think there is an element of rogue there being like his beard and like rogue is fairly you know uh sharp with those kinds of things and i think she possibly more than some other of the um the ex-women in this era would have picked up on that. Yeah, I feel that like she would have picked up on that. I mean, she's clearly talking about Remy in this issue. Yeah. And and he's been, and he, like a good gay boy, gives her like really good, solid advice on, on her relationship with Remy. So again, so given that Labdell did write North Stars coming out in Alpha Flight 106, I, I do think that, you know, there is a lot of like undertides in the Bobby and Rogue scenes that we will see in this issue. And I do think Bobby, what, what exactly what you just said, that he is bringing, he brings various ex-women to dinner with his family to help mask the fact that not only is he a mutant, not only does he not know how to control his powers, not only does he feel like a failure, but to cover up the fact that he's a gay man. And then, you know, we, we cut from Bobby and Rogue back to Westchester and Charles just sleeping with the window completely open. Uh, it's not like people try to kill him on a regular basis. Uh, and the uh, mansion security is shit. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I guess, I mean, sentinels aren't going to stop at the windows. But um, it, it we, we, we then get sort of into Charles, his, uh, his head, his psyche, and uh, his dream, and it helpfully says dream on there. Um, he, multiple times. Uh, dream, dream. Yeah, multiple times. Um, he's in the desert uh, in Israel, and he's um, saying how it's, you know, he's been from one end of the, the universe to another, and it's like he's seen sights that people on Earth could never imagine, and it's like, yet he always comes back here. Uh, where he first met Magneto. 
And I think that's really beautiful. I think, again, there's a tenderness to their relationship here. And, you know, Xavier's talking about the optimism of youth. And I think that's a really powerful scene. And I think that's a very relatable moment where he says, I've traveled the world. I've gone through galaxies that most people will never be, but I was most happy here in this desert when I met my best friend. And I think that's really, really beautiful. And, you know, of course, Magneto with his panting provine hair like appears and they have a very beautiful little tender moment saying over the decades, I have drawn strength and inspiration to fulfill my dream from the strongest, most dedicated man I have ever known you, Eric Ledger. And I, th- I, th- I thought that was beautiful. But, you know, Magneto then looks at him with this very coy look and says, have you ever thought about if I had never been around to interfere with your plans for that dream? And I guess at this point, the conversation in the Xbooks is, is this dream ever going to be achievable? Right. We saw that in X-Men 38 where Scott and Jean and, 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 and Charles are looking at the sign that Emma Frost put for the, for the, for the school calling, calling it the Xavier Institute for higher learning and what would happen if they're going to become a dream, if that dream will be achieved? And Xavier's like, I'm going to be a barber. Ha, 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 because I'm bald. It's supposed to be funny. Laugh at my dad joke. And, and, and here he's having that dream. And obviously we know this is Legion, but the question being posed, like, would his dream have been achieved by, by now? To note, like, I, a, I love, like, Magneto's, like, Spike Siegel, 80s, 90s, like, suit with the flap. Um, oh my god it. spike siegel yes <laughs> yeah uh, i also think it's, it's interesting in his dreams charles can stand and walk oh that is a really good point yes because you know in, in this era obviously he's very he's famously in the big yellow hover chair hover chair um but he's not at all in his dreams and obviously when he met magneto i think yeah, when he met Magneto originally, uh, he was not yet paralyzed. So then we go back to reality, not everything it's cracked up to be. And Rogue and Iceman are driving to the Drake house and they're talking about stuff that's going on in Rogue's personal life, namely Gambit. And Bobby thinks that he's a jerk that leads her on and plays with her head. And Rogue is like really angry about that. And she's here like, Remy does not play with my head. And Iceman is like, oh, come on, Rogue. It's not like the two of you live in a cave somewhere in a small house for a mansion. And it's just, it's really funny. And, you know, it kind of ends with her saying like, I see your point, not too pathetic, huh? And Bobby says, there's nothing pathetic about wanting to be loved, Rogue. And Rogue's like, well, Bobby Drake, that's almost profound of you. And, you know, this is a continuation again of the pull scene. And I like that they have this like tender moment here between both of them. Yeah. Um, And for those of you not from like the New York area, Montauk is really famous for having a big giant lighthouse and that is the big giant lighthouse depicted there down to the stripe in the middle. And it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Somebody on the X staff had been out to the lighthouse. (laughs) 
There you go. And they also note that the Rogue Limited series, that first Rogue series, takes place before these events. Yes. Um, And that is a a quick sidebar. That is a fun series if you're interested in more Rogue action. That was the first comic I collected all of the issues that like I literally went back to the comic store to make sure I got issues one, two, three, and four. So a I lot. recommend it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of like individual X person mini series or series can be a little rough. Um, but that definitely recommend that. It's and not re- the no. rogue mini series is a continuation of the Gambit mini series. It's a yes. sequel. It's all coming together. Look at that, Yato Savas. And then we 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 get Bobby's dad coming out and smoking cigar, and he's just like, "Hey, are you guys actually going to like come in, even though you're like three hours late, or are you just going to go straight to the bedroom?" And it's like, "Okay, off to a strong start here." Uh, and Bobby's just like, "God, Dad, we're just friends." <laughs> God, Dad, stop it! We're just friends, but. Madeline Drake, that's her name, right? Madeline. She comes out. She looks so good here because in the Cena Grace series, she does not look this good. She's got her pearls. She's got her blowout. She's wearing the lime green dress. She is ready for her son to be home. And she doesn't care if he's late. She's just happy her boy's here. And it's interesting to note that that Papa Drake says, oh, this is going to be fun. And Bobby says the same exact thing. So I like that they're showing those parallels between father and son for as different as they are. Sometimes genetics don't lie. You, you are for better, or for worse, a byproduct of your, of your dad in this case. Yeah. And then we, you know, smash cut back to the, the city and uh, the quote starlight room uh, where Betsy's sitting on a piano singing, which is not something I ordinarily associate with like Psylocke. But she's she's singing and everybody's going splendid. 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 <laughs> a bunch um, of white people clapping. <laughs> yeah. A bunch of white people clapping. And uh Warren is like, oh, takes her hand and kisses it. And uh these two random people in the background are like, oh, I don't know. She's drop dead gorgeous. And then the other one's like, oh, well, he's not half bad himself. TPE. And um <laughs> He, a good looking and, couple yeah they're 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 a good looking couple and betsy says she's always wanted to do that she always wanted ever since she was at the royal academy she just wanted to be able to to let loose and you know how did you manage to convince them and warren's just like oh yeah my family owns the place <laughs> since it was a hot dog stand <laughs> and then she's like i thought you lost everything to hodge because um cameron hodge I think it was like hostile takeover of Worthington Enterprises during the era when Warren was running it. And Warren was not a great businessman in this era, but he's basically just like, oh yeah, he took the company, but like, we've got like so much money. He didn't even, uh, you know, most of it's still like intact. So like take that Hodge. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, this is the first time we're seeing Angel and Betsy together since Shinobi Shaw invited them to the Hellfire Club yes. in X-Men number 29. 
and they've sparked a relationship and it's really cute you know like they go and they fly off and the butler is like hmm does it count on as running out on the bill if you actually own the place just kind of a weird beat in the story but sure but it's cute you know this is one I, i i'm a huge fan of the betsy and warren romance and to see it in the scene at its inception with Psylocke with her with with her new haircut which again is a little inconsistent <laughs> with with how we saw it last time but I'm, I'm really happy this this scene just made me happy to read and this this is a, a much less well-adjusted warren than we have in like the current era like this is still relatively fresh from when he's been, you know, a horseman and just all of the, the trauma that he's gone through in the past couple of years. And it's like, this is, you're actually seeing like Warren be kind of like happy for the first time in a while. I mean, yeah, when he still transforms into like the angel of death, but <laughs> he's generally kind of happy here. And it's, it's like, it's refreshing. And then we cut back to Long Island where Bobby is sitting with his dad and Rogue and his mom are in the kitchen and father and son are fighting and mom is telling Rogue, oh, they do this all the time. Like, And his dad is really upset that they were a little late and, you know, but for Bobby being a little late is technically early. And he's here like, let me guess, you were saving the world. And and Bobby's like, not the entire world, Dad. No, just Westchester. And and Dad is just like, I guess we should be grateful you didn't bring that Topal girl around again. And he just gets like really angry at his dad because he's just purposely trying to, to push Bobby's buttons. I and, and a, a great little detail um, on this page is uh, his father is reading the Daily Bugle, which is, you know, famously the newspaper of assholes in the Marvel universe. Where it's like, you know, bring me pictures of Spider-Man and Spider-Man, you know, screws up. God knows what it says about mutants in this era, but like perfect little little detail in there. And, and, and dad is like, I wish you would just bring a normal girl and Bobby's like, define normal. And, and they just really go at it. And Bobby's like, please, dad, I've been hearing this crap since I was six years old. Can't you at least write some new material? And I'm really empathetic to that. I don't, I don't know what your relationship is like with your dad. I, I have a decent relationship with my dad, but my dad has said the same things since I was six. You know, he still says the same jokes. He still has the same criticisms. And I'm just like, dad, just get some new material. So I thought that was really, that was a really nice beat in the story. It's, it's you know, with, with obviously with Bobby saying it, it's, it's very, um, it's very hostile, but that is like the universal like dad yeah. thing where it's like, it's the same dad jokes that you've heard since you were like a child. Um, but, you know, he his his father then you know goes from being like unpleasant to just like really nasty where he's like 
you're you're trotting out there with the same old circus act bobby only the faces change and he goes like one week she's italian the next week it's japanese and now this one is and he says and bobby's like what a mutant um and yeah like not not the not not portraying mr drake in the best light yeah, he and, says uh, that's what it is all about, isn't it? You're just disgusted by anything that doesn't fit into your limited definition of normal. Sorry if I disappointed you, Dad, and walks out. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, and he's he, yeah, and just like boom, he says you know goodbye to his mom. He says I'll call you, and um, I and love Rogue, yeah, yeah the scene with Rogue. Rogue. I, I loved it. She says, um, I've heard about you, uh, Mr. Drake, that you're an honest man, a hard worker, a veteran of war and a loving husband. Maybe it was just because he didn't know for sure before today, but he never mentioned you were a bigot. Damn, rogue. Just like cutting, just cutting him. She just went, you know, open up the switchblade (laughs) and just stabbed that is um, her southernness reading the room. She's just like, mm. she's not handling it. I love that Rogue did that. I really did. Again, Rogue understands Bobby. She understands the situation. She's being there for his friend. I love. I, I there's nothing about their relationship that I don't love in this yeah. issue. Um, and then we 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 get back to Charles and um, like projection of Eric, where it's like. Maggie was pointing out at the sort of like wasteland where it's just like it's bodies and skeletons. And he's like, you know, just look at this, this scorched earth that we've created the two of us uh, by the constant struggle between our vastly different methods of achieving the same goal. And, um, you know, as, as the world is engulfed by the flames of ignorance and tolerance, how do the two most powerful mutants on the planet spend their time? And just sort of like gesturing at the like the the waste and the destruction. Magneto's like, if only I had never gotten in the way of your dream. If instead of a decade of conflict, there had been a decade of peace, of cooperation. And Xavier like grabs him and starts like choking him, saying, But we can't know if that's true. For better or for worse, it is not our place to tamper with what was. Rather, we can only forge what is to be. And then from there, Magneto turns into Legion. And he's like, that's where I think you're wrong, father. And Xavier's like, oh, my God, D- David? And an end scene right there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's this is pure Age of Apocalypse setup right here. Yeah. And, and then we, we, we kind of, th- this is the one where I think the pacing, pacing was a little off here because we then cut back to Warren and Betsy uh, for like a really romantic moment where, you know, again, Warren's in his archangel form and they're hovering over uh, midtown as the bells of St. Patrick's ring in the distance. And they're, you know, sort of like talking about how, you know, what, what their their feelings and like Warren makes a joke about like oh well uh, this is where you know I should 
um, oh, I should reveal to you that I'm actually your uncle's clone from an alternate reality, and you're supposed to die and come back to life a few dozen times. I love the meta-ness of those. I love that they're aware of it, and they say that. like It's almost like they're being positioned as like the anti-stereotypical comic book couple. You know, yeah. In this. Um, and and I, I, I like this particularly because like war, and, I, and I've, I've said this too, Warren out of the original five is probably the one who's had the least uh, development of his personality. Um, and like relatives to like what you see from like Scott and Gene and Hank and Bobby. And it's like, it's actually n- nice to see um, a Warren story. That's not either him being like an idiot rich guy or the angel of death where it's just like him well, he is kind of still the angel of death here, so fair. But um, fair. where he is just like talking about, you know, his feelings and and confessing, you know, his love to Betsy and being romantic and making like stupid jokes, not just like, oh, I'm Warren Worthington the Third. I've got a lot of money. Here's some money. And it's 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 nice just to get out of that like one note box that they had Warren in for a while. And he's and he's self-aware of everything that's happened with Gene and Cyclops. I mean, this is direct shade at the Gene Cyclops romance, being like, oh, I'm yeah. going to reveal myself to be your, your clone from an alternate universe, and you're going to die several times. And he's here like, oh, let's just cut to the chase. Let's do something radical and just cut to the chase and be there for each other and 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 have an open heart. And, and Betsy's like, you mean like protecting each other and heart, body, and soul? And he goes, is that a yes? And they kiss. And and that's wonderful. I, there's so much positioning with both of them here that I love, love so much. I, I love it. Uh, I still don't know logistically how uh, his transformation into Archangel does not just shred that tuxedo. But, Fair. I, you know, it, it, it's comic books. I don't know. <laughs> what does Demanda uh, Martini say? She just says, just drink every time somebody just drink. drinks it. Yeah, maybe yeah. he has holes in there for it. I don't know. I, I was thinking that as well. I was like, wow, his, and how do you fit the wings or underneath? Wait, he can transform back and forth from, I'm forgetting how I was in this era because he was normal, you know, without like the wings under his tuxedo and, and, and he had his pale skin and now he's blue with the big archangel metal wings. Yeah, um, he doesn't have his regular wings at this point, I think. Yeah, he, he has the Archangel. Only because the they haven't grown wings. back yet. The, the angel wings haven't grown back yet. Haven't grown back yet. Yeah. Yeah. They they will grow back later when Sabretooth breaks the metal wings. And like yeah. we'll find out they've been growing underneath there the entire time. Yeah. yeah. So no, that's a really cute scene. I listen, that is that is really, really cute. Again, everything with this issue, I, it, it's not a criticism on what is here, but I just don't see. I'm trying to see why it's all pieced together. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, because we then cut back to Montauk. Um, and, you know, Bobby's like, oh, he's, he's building a sandcastle. And he's just like, oh, I just don't get it. And Rogue just calls him out and goes, it's called stupidity, sugar. It's not supposed to make sense. And again, it's just like, I, I love Rogue in this issue for stuff like that. And she's like, the color of a person's skin, their religion, bad genes. If you want to hate a body bad enough, any reason will do you. 
That was just such beautiful writing. And I agree. When when someone has hate in their heart, they're going to look for any excuse to yeah. to hate. Again, and by the way, this is such a powerful message to be giving to kids in the 90s reading this. So when people are like, oh, X-Men and and the muted metaphor, like this is where this is where it is. This is why it's influenced so many people. It's right on the nose. It's right there. And and then Bobby says, but my whole life, I've tried accepting everyone for who they are. Even before I got my powers, before I learned I was different, I was always the guy who made friends with the new kid in class. Third grade, I beat up the class bully because he was picking on the smaller kids. And you want to hear something funny? Ever since I was a kid, I thought I learned that from my parents, from my dad. And then Rogue says, and now, and then he says, now I have no idea where I learned it all. And I think that's, again, that's such beautiful development for Bobby. I mean, he, he always loves people for who they are. He accepts people and everyone around them. And he's been beating up bullies. And he thought that was something that he learned from his parents. But he was you're like, no, actually, it wasn't. It, it's something that was innate to my personality. I mean, he doesn't say that, obviously, yeah. but it's something that's innate to his personality. And that goes to show you the layers with him and that he actually, he's far more accomplished and further along than he thinks he is. Does that make sense? Like he's so wrapped up in his insecurity that he doesn't see the own good that he has inside of him. Oh, no, com- completely. Um, and, you know, Rogue sort of ends the scene by saying that, like, um, you know, your daddy was wrong. What he said about imagination being worthless. Imagine it's the only way of us having or dreaming of a better world. And like that ties into the overarching theme of like, you know, Legion quests and what's happening where it is this idea of like, oh, would it be a better world if, you know, Magneto had been removed or whatever. And it's like, Maybe not so much, uh, as we will see. Well, that's actually, you bring up the really valid point there. That I, That's what connects all three of these stories, which is the idea of a better world, uh, of a better existence. And we see that with Legion, we see that with Bobby Roke, and we see that with Warren and Betsy talking about, you know, clones and, and, and dying a couple of times. Yeah. Like, let's just embrace our love. Yeah, I mean, thank you for framing that. Hmm, not bad for a bitch with no talent. <laughs> Wow. Wow. <laughs> that, that, that caught me so off guard i don't even have like a witty response for that <laughs> but, but you will take it you take it but you know that's a really great point that's exactly what is stringing all three of these stories which i had not seen until you said that right now and you know on that note the issue ends with beast waking up and yeah we, it ends me. with the, Dayspring's Nightmare of Being Shaken Awake <laughs> by, by Hank McCoy. By Hank McCoy. Uh, and like, oh my God, he's here like, what's wrong, sir? And Xavier's like, my son, David Holler, Legion. And they go to Xavier's room, which is all nice and tidy now, his, his war room after he told Bishop to clean it up. <laughs> which Bishop did. I don't know if he has the Xavier protocols reinstituted here, but the system's on and Xavier's really afraid that a mutant with powers that exceed his own, never mind Jean Grey, but uh, powers that exceed his own can is capable of doing anything. And, you know, that's where we end that Legion quest is coming part one in, in, in the next issue. 
Well, no, not of our read, but in, in the series. I think we have one more. Yeah, we have one more issue before we get to Legion Quest. And the next one we'll read is X-Men 39. That's the one we'll read. It's an interesting issue. Even with what I said about like the dreams of a better, well, the, the Warren and Betsy story to me, um, it's, it doesn't fit in as neatly perhaps as the other, the other two. two. Um, but I, I, like it, I, I think it, it, it does work. Um, if it's not, even if it's not as big in terms of like hitting the themes that the other two do. Well, you know what Xavier says? He says um, in that last panel when he's going to turn on his system after being awoken by that monster, Hank McCoy, like, Jesus Christ, if he is hovering over my bed and I wake up, I will literally have a heart attack. But uh, he says, That's what he wants. <laughs> Beneath his rage in reference to Legion, Xavier says, I felt a strong sense that David was at peace with himself, whole, as if all the time he had spent in a coma had somehow allowed him to meld his mind back together. But the idea of kind of coming to terms with who you are, you know, we see that with Legion, we see that with Warren and Betsy, we do also see that that's a big theme with Bobby and Rogue. So, you know what, on a thematic level, I'm going to rescind what I said earlier. I, I, I'm kind of seeing, I, I don't think it's as neat as kind of like what you were just saying. I don't think all we're, we're kind of overreaching here to fit everything together, but I think there, there are seeds here yeah. where you can kind of connect them. And, you know, I think, I don't think this is a jump on issue like X-Men 38 was, but this is definitely a, middle of the road, low action episode two in a series, you're establishing the plot. And, and I'm, it, it's really interesting that it is a very character driven issue and not just like blow stuff up and, and fight. You it's, know? it's completely character driven. Um, like I said before you, you get some, you get some great Bobby and rogue moments. I think you get some great development. Um, for Warren in particular, um, especially with just, you know, even like making fun of like the comic book tropes of relationships, um, which, you know, Scott and Jean are the ultimate example of. And it's like Warren has been at the school as long as they have. And like, you know, when you see your old friends making these like ridiculous mistakes again and again for decades, you just be like, oh yeah, okay, we're not gonna be like those assholes. Uh, who I love, but they're assholes. And um, a lot of a lot of really good good notes. And I, I really like the Xavier dreamscapes. Um, I really like you know how he he makes himself walk in his like that's his vision of himself. Uh, I did think it interesting that his subconscious refers to uh, him and Magneto as the most two most powerful mutants in the world. And it's like, well, you know, Gene, uh, Apocalypse, couple others, <laughs> couple others, yeah. Moira, Moira, perhaps Moira. for you. Yeah. I know that's not editorially there yet, but yeah. And, you know, it, it's also curious that they would focus on the Betsy and Warren relationship here because, Angel, from what I remember, doesn't have that big of a role in Age of Apocalypse. I mean, he's there. He has the Halo nightclub. But Betsy is straight up MIA 
in the original Age of Apocalypse yeah. run. She will come in in the 10th anniversary, but she is MIA. That's it. So enjoy Betsy and her new haircut while we have her. I think she does pop up in Legion Quest, but she is she is MIA for, for the next four months once Age of Apocalypse is underway. Yeah, yeah, we'll 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 get to war in an age of apocalypse, but um, it's a little different. Um, a little different. A little different. Bobby should shave. Uh, <laughs> oh yes, his five o'clock shadow comes up quite a bit, or his dad calls him out on it. I'm like, yeah, well, he's distressed. Boyfriend doesn't want to go see his parents. Yeah, but it's, it's just like just just shave. You know, some some gay men fall back on the beard like growing a beard not everybody can pull it off like just have your crisis dye your hair blonde platinum blonde <laughs> and just get it out of your system like you cannot pull the beard off you cannot yeah he can hold it off and yeah he should shave and fair point and i don't think we'll see him with facial hair again nah. for a while but um, yeah, that concludes this read of x-men 319 and our next chapter is X-Men 39. And we're going to be joined by Nerd Alert, who yes. is a longtime friend of the podcast, of both of ours. And yes. he is part of Clan Ascani, along with Amanda Martin. Make sure to be there. Be there. All right, folks, you can find me on Instagram, Dayspring, at Power of X-Men. Don't try Twitter. Although last night I tried to get into Twitter. I started tweeting some sassy things about Hawkeye as I was rewatching it with my husband. But then this morning I woke up and like, oh, did I tweet something? Yeah. And I ended up losing like two people because <laughs> they were like, why is this bitch tweeting at like midnight? Why? Why, <laughs> why? is she up? Yeah. Why is she up? Why isn't she asleep? Um, and I am Mr. Scott Free, and you can find me at Mr. Scott Free on Instagram or Twitter or at the bottom of Jack Daniels bottle. So. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have some Jack tonight. Three things, folks. One, we do have a Patreon. Go support that. We have a few people who have joined the Patreon, and that's great. It helps with overhead costs. But if you can support, we do appreciate it. We have multiple tiers. We have the Power of X-Men t-shirt by Art of Lucas that's up. Please go check it out. And I said three things. I'm forgetting what the third thing is. Oh, rate and review this podcast. I got to get better about saying that. I was looking at like 101s for podcasts and they're like, always remind people to rate and review. So rate and review five stars, apples, owls, whatever the symbol, just like, just do it. Word. All right, guys. We'll see you next week.